We are in this series called Exiles, looking at the, the life of Daniel and some of his best friends. Uh, it's an Old Testament book, if you don't know, right after the book of Ezekiel. And uh, we're going to be in part four today. We've got uh, two more, no, three more actual uh, messages that are coming your way. Uh, we'll, we'll finish out the rest of this month going in. You're going you're gonna to hear not only just from me, you're going to hear from some other incredible people actually in the weeks to come as well. But uh, glad that you're here. And uh, if you got some notes, let me see them. You got some notes? All right, there we go. If you're online, we'll, uh, we're going to put these notes online in the comment section. Welcome those that are joining us online today. Uh, we're going to kick off in Daniel chapter 4. But before I go there real quick, let's just uh, let's pray one more time and uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come and just speak to us and see what he wants to do today. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Thank you that you have given us your word that is divinely inspired word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the motives of our hearts. Lord, it gets to the core of who we are. So today, I pray that you would help me to articulate uh, your word in such a way that your people would hear it, be changed by it, um, be encouraged by it. Lord, that you would come. We would not walk in this place the same way as we walk out. And we pray, God, that you would change our minds, our thinking, our hearts, and Lord, we thank you for all that you want to do through us and in us today. Thank you for this beautiful weather in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, it's gorgeous outside. All right, uh, real quick, for those that uh, may know this guy back in the day, I'm going to show you a picture of a guy, one of the most famous boxers of all time. Anybody know who this guy is? Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. This is back in my day and era, right uh, after kind of Muhammad Ali era. There was this guy by the name of Mike Tyson, one of the greatest boxers of all time. He had a, 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 uh, an, a phenomenal career between the years of 1985 and 1990. He knocked out 10 heavyweight fighters in less than a minute. In less than a minute, this guy was, was the top of his game. He was so popular, he was so good, that you know you're good when you got a Nintendo game named after you. Anybody remember Mike Tyson Punch-Out? Come on, I got any 1980s and 1990s people. That was like the epic thing when you got to fight Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. At the peak of his career, this guy was at the top of his game. I mean, at the top of his game. Uh, one of the best of the best. He had a swag that went with it. He had an attitude that went with it. He had a, just a vibrato that went with this. Everything that you thought about Mike Tyson, I mean, this guy was bad to the bone. They called him Iron Mike was his, was his nickname. In 1990, he went up against this no-name dude, this guy that nobody really knew by the name of Buster Douglas. Nobody really knew who Buster Douglas was, wasn't really hot on the scene. He had this just kind of fight that was against him. Uh, not only was he a no-name, Mike Tyson didn't even think that he was anywhere near going to be defeated by this guy, and so he didn't prep for it. Actually, he went out the night before, partied it up, and the next day when he fought Buster Douglas, let me show you a picture of what ended up happening. This right here, <laughs> Buster Duck Douglas took him out. Uh, he didn't know that it was going to happen by any means, but you can guess what happened uh, in the 10th round of this drag out fight, uh, Buster Douglas put him, put him to the ground. And uh, I think what we see in this picture is, is an actual truth that all of us need to know because Mike Tyson's life can teach us a real tragic truth. And here's the truth. Defeat is difficult, but success can be fatal. De defeat is difficult, but success can be fatal. And today we're going to be uh, looking in Daniel chapter 5 today, uh, uh, actually, excuse me, chapter 4 today, we're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar. He is in a place of incredible success. He's in one of the best places, and, and God is going to knock him out. Uh, Mama going to knock you out. Okay, so, <laughs> come on, hello, cool J there, where we go. So, we're going to... We're going to see this moment where, much like Buster Douglas knocked Mike Tyson out, God's going to knock, uh, he's going to knock King Nebuchadnezzar off of his high horse. And this isn't, a, this isn't a knockout to take him out. This is a knockout that's one of actually an incredible healing thing that actually happens. Now, I don't know if you realize this, if you've been kind of tracking with us over the past couple of weeks as we've been 
in this four-part series, but it almost seems every week it's been God versus King Neb. God versus King Neb. God versus King Neb. In the first round, round one was God versus King Neb when, when King Nebuchadnezzar stole all of the Hebrew boys and brought them to Babylon, and then he selected out of the Babylon people that he had, had chosen these four Hebrew boys and, and said, hey, you're going you're gonna to eat from my table, and King uh, Daniel and his friends said, nope, we're not going to do that. And uh, you can test us for 10 days, try it out. And at the end of the 10 days, these guys who only ate vegetables, you know it had to be the Lord, <laughs> teenagers only eating vegetables and uh, not drinking wine. And these guys are, these guys are the, at the end of the scripture of, of chapter 10 says they're 10 times stronger than all of the other, all the other guys, all the other wise men. And so here we go, round one goes to, goes to God. And then in round two, we have the dream, which was in week two, we talked about the dream where King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and all of his enchanters try to, uh, they, they tell him, we can't figure this out. No one's going to be able to figure this out. There's no humanly possible way that anybody can tell you what this dream is or the interpretation is. And sure enough, here comes Daniel filled with the spirit of God and he shares the interpretation of this dream. You can go back and watch that whole message and what that was all about. But I want to show you a scripture here of what King Nebuchadnezzar says after Daniel understands the dream, interprets the dream, and in Daniel chapter two, look, I want you to see what it says. It says, then the king said to Daniel, truly, watch what he says, everybody help me here. Truly your, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. Now I want you to notice something here because in scripture it's very important that you understand capitalization. So every time we speak of the Lord, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, our God, it is always a capital G. Okay, and every time we talk about any lesser gods, it's always what? Okay, yeah, I just want to help y'all with grammar here, okay? Uh, so we, those are the lower Gs. So I want you to notice here that he is saying, hey, listen, God is greater than all these other gods. We lived in Babylon, which is a pluralistic um, society. They, they all worshiped a ton of different gods. And here we are, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, round two. Yeah, that goes to you too, okay. Then we've got round three, and round three was last week, which is what I call the, the skirmish in the furnace, okay? This was, this was the message that I spoke on last week, which was that Dan, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm gonna make myself a statue, and everybody's gonna bow down to it, and we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, nope, we're not doing that, um, and he says, well, if you're not going to do it, you're going to get thrown in the fire. We know the story. They throw him in the fire. God shows up in the middle of the fire with them. They come out of the fire. Not their, their hair's not burned. Their clothes not burned. The Bible says they don't even smell like smoke. I mean, no, round three, God again. God again. Watch. And now when they come out of chapter three, at the end of chapter three, watch what King Nebuchadnezzar says again. So round one, God. Round two, God. Round three, God. And here we are. Therefore... So they come out of the fire, okay, that's a pretty big one. It says, then I'm going to make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or their nation or their language, speak a word against the God, watch this, of who? Of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, watch, it says this, they will be torn. If you speak against this God, they're going to be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble, meaning their, their house is going to get burned down. There is no other, but notice, what is it? It's lowercase. There is no other lowercase God who can rescue like this. Okay, so here's what you got to understand. King Nebuchadnezzar is understanding that there is a God. But you notice when they come out of the fire, he says, there's no God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not his God, it's their God. Watch this, this is huge here. Because there's a lot of people that, we, that live in the South who know about God, who understand that there is a God, but it's not their God. Are y'all watching? Okay, watch, this is huge. He says, there's no other God who can rescue like this. He's not saying that there's no other gods. This is the only God. He's going, there's a bunch of gods, and this one just happens to so far be the most powerful that I've noticed. And so here's what can happen. I'm going to show you how this can happen. 
And this can happen in a very even religious area that we live in. We know about God. We know there is a God. We know our grandmother, our grandfather, our parents, or whoever served this God. But until that God becomes your God, nothing changes. Nothing changes. And so you're going to notice as we get into now, into chapter 4, Daniel, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, yet again, is fighting against God. Now, let me give you, because I always like to teach a little bit, and I'll preach a little bit, and we'll, we'll intermix these two together, because I want you to get the depths of this. That's why we're going through these kind of verse by verse and chapter by chapter, is because here we are. That just came out of round three, chapter three. We're going into round four, and King Nebuchadnezzar is still fighting with God. But, but here's the deal. This is the final round. It's the final countdown. Da, 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 da. Yeah, y'all feeling it, okay? All right, so watch this. All right, Daniel 4, watch this. Daniel 1, in Daniel 1, Daniel is about 15, 16 years old. In Daniel 4, in Daniel 4, Daniel now is about 45 to 50 years old. Okay, so there's been about three decades between Daniel 1 and Daniel 4, there's been 30 years. So Daniel is about 45, 50 years old. Uh, come on, 45 or 50 years young. Come on, somebody. Anybody in here? Okay. So here we go. Daniel chapter 4. Let's jump in. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4 and 5. And it says this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace. And, and while I was in my palace, I had what? I had comfort and I had prosperity. Life is good. Comfort and prosperity. The, the two things that I think really probably a lot of us long for, I just want to live in a life of comfort and I want to live a life of prosperity. I want to have all that I need. And so one night I had a dream. Not again. <laughs> this dream frightened me. And I saw visions that terrified me as I laid in bed. So here we are. King Neb has another dream. Now, if you remember back in chapter 2, he had a dream then. This is a guy who's constantly having dreams. This dream freaks him out, though. Yet again, another one that terrifies him. And he's in a place of comfort, and he's in a place of prosperity. Now, let me just say this. Here's what I've been able to track, for the most part, in people's lives as a pastor for the last 22 years, and that is that when people are in a place of comfort and a prosperity, they usually don't need God. It's just the way it is. You're, you're pretty good. All is well. Uh, most of the time, people come to church not with, hey, my life's doing really good and I've got all that I need. They come to church with, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of hope. I'm at the end of this. And so, how I many know when you're in a place of comfort and prosperity, sometimes God will shake you up a little bit just to remind you, don't get too comfortable because you still need me. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he's already, he's, 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 he, he realized about the statue situation, but, but he's, he's a little too comfortable with himself. And so God gives him a dream and says, I need to speak to you. And God will often speak to us through many different ways, many, but one of the ways that we see in this whole book is he's been speaking through dreams. And so just for the sake of time, I'm going to just walk you through what this dream is because what he does is he brings all of his, here he goes, has the dream, and he says, okay, bring all the enchanters, all the magicians, all, all of Harry Potter's friends. Get them all in here, okay, get them all, get them all here. And, 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 and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them the dream. So this time he's telling them. In chapter two, he made them tell him. In this one, he's like, bonus points, I'm gonna tell you the dream. And I'm gonna see if you get it. So he tells them the dream, which I'm gonna tell you what it is in just a minute. He tells them the dream and then he asks for them to give interpretation and they did the exact same thing. They said, there is no humanly possible way for any man to ever you know, figure out this interpretation. Now, it's been 30 years, realize, since probably chapter two, so they have forgotten. Oh wait, there is a guy. There is a guy. And so King Nebuchadnezzar goes, I got a main man. His name's Daniel. Y'all get out of here. Get Daniel in here. Daniel comes in and he says, Daniel, here's, here's the dream. Can you give me the interpretation? And uh, Daniel's going to give the interpretation, but let me tell you what the dream is real quick. So the dream is this. He says, I had this dream. Uh, there was a massively huge tree 
uh, in the middle of the earth. It was as tall as the heavens. The leaves were, were luscious. There was fruit all over this tree. It was one of the most amazing trees I've ever seen. There was animals living under it. There were people enjoying it. Um, it was just an absolutely amazing tree. Then I saw a holy one. This is what he says. I saw a holy one come down and chop the tree down at its roots, um, all the way down to the stump, left a little stump and the roots, and that was it. What's the dream? So that's, that's the dream. And so Daniel's going to now begin to give the interpretation for this dream. So y'all stay with me. Um, I know we're teaching a little bit, and we're going to get into what this kind of looks like for us. So here's what he says. Yet again, y'all remember the statue? And he says, the head is you, and it's full of gold. Here we are, now a tree. He says, that tree, your majesty, is, is you, is you, okay? That tree represents you, King Neb. And, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to be driven from human society. You're going to live in the fields with the wild animals. You, you are going to eat grass like a cow. You're going to be drenched with the dew of heaven. How many want to be this guy who gave this news to the king? The Bible says actually when, when, when King Nebuchadnezzar told him this dream that, that, that Daniel was so scared of what this meant because he knew what this meant. And, uh, and, and King Neb said, give it to me. So he tells them all this of what's going to happen. Now watch, it's going to continue. Seven periods of time, many theologians believe that this is seven years, is going to pass while you live this way. Now watch this. This is a huge part of today. Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Watch. He goes on and he says, but the stump and the roots of the tree, they were left in the ground. And this means, here's the good news, king. The good news is that the reason the roots and the stumps were left is because you're going to receive your kingdom back again when you have learned. Everybody say that with what? That what? Come on, let's say that again. When you learn that. One more time. When you learn that. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. You, you need to learn that heaven, when heaven rules. Now watch. So he's told them, this is the bad thing. You're going to go live with animals. You're going to eat like grass with cows. And it's going to be for seven years. Or until you learn that my kingdom is the real kingdom and you understand that heaven rules. Now watch. Here's the moment. Okay? So King Nebuchadnezzar, please, please accept my advice. Here we go. Stop sinning. And do what's right. He's pleading with him. Now think about this for a moment. This is the guy who threw his friends into the fire. This is the guy who wanted to kill him back in chapter 2. This is the guy who, who, who stole him from his family and from his home and, and from, from the people that he knew. Many of the wise men were eunuchs, meaning they were castrated. They couldn't have families. They couldn't have relationships. So imagine the amount of pain that this man has inflicted on Daniel's life, and yet Daniel still has incredible love for this man. He says, listen, for your sake, for your people's sake, stop sinning, do what's right, break from your wicked past, be merciful to the poor, and perhaps then you will continue to prosper. This is, this is the call that Daniel pleads with King Neb. And, and, and I want you to hear me very closely. This is what God does with all of us. God never sends people to hell. People choose to go to hell because they don't want to accept what Jesus has done for them. There's not, it's not a loving God that, that sends people to hell. He's a loving God that extends grace and mercy. And he says, if you'll stop this and you'll turn to me, you'll be saved from yourself. But so many of us are living not from what God has done, but, but from the consequences of what we've done. We've done this. And, and, and so Daniel's trying to warn King, stop. God has been trying to get your attention for three decades, and you keep fighting against him and fighting against him and fighting against him. At some point, you're going to realize he always wins. He always wins. So watch 
in verse 29, and this is the most sobering part. You ready? Verse 29. Everybody tell me those three words. Twelve months later. How long is 12 months? Okay, yeah. We're, y'all didn't know y'all doing school in here too, okay? So he has this dream. It frightens him. He goes to a man of God. Tell me what this means. Daniel is honest with him. Says, this is what this means. God is giving you a moment to repent and to turn to me, turn to him and to surrender your life. And what does he do with it? Nothing. One year goes by. One year goes by. Now, I want you all to hear me. This is, this is such a crucial part of this whole thing. Because this is what God does in our life. And this is where we can understand this. And maybe some of you, you say, that's happened to me. God will often in his love and grace warn you and then wait. <laughs> He'll warn you, and then he'll wait. Parents in here, have you ever done that with your children? Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do that. And then you sit back and go, let's see how this plays out. Now watch. This is is the huge part of this. God waits for 12 months for King Nebuchadnezzar to repent. Really, honestly, for 30 years. Because he's been trying to get after him for 30 years. And you need to hear me very clearly on this. Don't mistake God's patience for his approval. Don't mistake that God has been so full of grace and mercy and patience over your sin because you haven't seen anything go bad yet that you think that his grace is his approval. His grace and his patience is for you to not get the full consequences of your sin. But at some point, God says, enough's enough. I will now step in. I will now step in. And so we have this moment where God is about to step in. Now, I need you to hear me. Watch the rest of this verse. 12 months later, a year goes by. King Neb goes, I could care less about God. That's really what he's doing because he doesn't repent and he doesn't stop. And he keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps going. And here we have him in a moment of success and comfort and prosperity. And he's taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And as he looks out, Across the city, he says, look at this great city of Babylon. So, of course, his castle, his reign, his empire, his home, his residence would be the tallest building in the entire place. And he gets out on the top on the roof of his deck, and he just looks at all that he has done and all that he has made. And look what he says. This is a great city. By my own mighty power, watch this, look at all these words. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. All right. This is what I call the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon. And the spirit of Babylon says this right here. Here's the spirit of Babylon. More of me and less of God. That's the spirit of Babylon right there. More of me and less of God. The spirit of Babylon is not just a spirit that happened in the ancient world. How many know the spirit of Babylon still happens today? Don't believe me? How many of y'all remember the, um, one of the most ruthless men in our world, a guy by the name of Saddam Hussein? How many remember Saddam Hussein? Anybody remember Saddam Hussein? Yeah, Saddam Hussein. Uh, Saddam Hussein was a ruthless, ruthless killer. Um, He was a tyrant. He was a dictator. And he ruled in a country called Iraq. Watch this. Can you guess? Just take a guess where Babylon is modern day. 
Iraq. Watch, gets even better. Saddam Hussein believed that he was the reincarnate King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, you can go read it. You can go research this all yourself. You can do a ton of research on it, and I've already done it. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed that he was the reincarnate King. Uh, Saddam Hussein said he was the reincarnate King Nebuchadnezzar, and that he uh, was going to rebuild Babylon. So if you go to Iraq, Saddam Hussein actually began to rebuild the, 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 the city of Babylon as much as he could. If you go and you look in the places that he built, one of the things that King Nebuchadnezzar did was he engraved his initials on every brick in every place that he built. Guess what King uh, Saddam Hussein did? Put his name on every brick. He, put, he made a coin that had his picture on it and on the other side had Saddam, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's picture on it. Now, of course, we don't believe in reincarnation, but I do believe in demonic spirits. And I believe that the same spirit of Babylon that demonically oppressed King Nebuchadnezzar is the same spirit that oppressed Saddam Hussein and is the same spirit that is trying to infiltrate the minds of our culture and our people just as much. And you go, whoa, you're comparing me to Saddam Hussein? Maybe. There are attributes of that that I think do remain in our society. And if you're not careful, um, there are ways. Now, maybe you're not building a Babylon. And maybe you're not, uh, you know, putting your name on coins and your picture on coins. But Jesus prophesied, the Apostle Paul actually told us through Scripture to be on the lookout for this. Now watch this, okay? So we're going 600 BC, 600 years before Christ. We've got the spirit of Babylon that's in King Nebuchadnezzar. You fast forward 2,600 plus years later, we've got, we see this in Saddam Hussein. And now let's fast forward into the end times, which I believe we are living in end times. We'll talk actually more about this in the coming uh, weeks in, in another chapter. But I want you to see what the end times will look like. You wanna know what the end times will look like? Watch, and, and then you help me understand if we're living in this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. You should know this, okay? There's nothing worse than Christians who, who are ignorant. So I'm going to help us. We as a church, and as followers of Jesus, you need to know what, what you're about to hear. So you need to know this. Here's what you need to know, Timothy. This is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who planted a church, and he says that in the last days, there's gonna be some very difficult times. You need to know this, okay? So that way, when you think that the last days are all about comfort and prosperity, you need to know that when difficult times come, God told you so. For people will... Sound like the spirit of Babylon? Less of me, I mean more of me, less of God. In the last days, people are going to only love themselves and they're only going to love their money. That's what they're going to love. Now watch, it continues. The news gets better. They will be boastful and, and proud and scoffing at God. They'll be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, they will be puffed up with pride and they will love pleasure rather than God. This is, this is what we're, we are to be aware of, that the spirit of Babylon is a demonic spirit that is causing, this is, a, this is, this is what it causes, it causes people to be only lovers of themselves, boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They will be puffed up with pride and they will love, love pleasure rather than they love God. So let me give you three things, three warning signs of the spirit of Babylon, three things that you can look for in your own life to see, is this, is this something that has crept into my heart and into my soul? And here's the first one, ready? The spirit of Babylon is self-centered. It's self-centered. The scripture says that for people will love 
only themselves. Y'all notice what King Nebuchadnezzar's language was when he, he looked over his, 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 his rulings and he looked over the, the, uh, the gardens. The gardens that were in Babylon are a part of, of um, some of the mysteries of this world of what he made. And he said things like, I did this and I made this and I did, nobody compares to me. But how many know all of us in here, all of us in here love being at the center we love being first. We live in a selfie generation. Like, mm. No, not this one. Mm. This side. Mm. This side. And you got to go up, right? You got to go. Mm. You got to go up. You know, you don't go down. You go up. You got to like. How many people take pictures of themselves? And then, and then you've got to curate it to make sure that it's exactly how it needs to look, so other people can think better of us than we actually are. And we live in a society that's constantly centered around self-image and self-love. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. It's the reason why that people, when they get off of social media, feel more depressed than they got on it. Because they're looking to people to give them what only God can give them. And so we become so self-centered and everything's about us. And I don't even have to tell you this because you, if, for those in here who have children, you know this. You did not have to train any of your kids to say mine. Say mine, say mine. They knew it. They are some hoarders, okay? They, listen, sinful, selfish-centered nature is in them from the very beginning. You did not have to train them to take and to punch. You didn't. Like, they are really good at it without you. Because apart from Christ, of course, everything that's within us is focused on self. We want to be right. We want to be first. We want to be the best. We want to be the smartest. We want to, it's all about me. It's all about my comfort. It's all about what I like. It's all about, and if it's not anything that's about me, and if you disagree with me, then you're the enemy because you're up against me and what I want and what, I, is this not the culture we live in? That if you disagree with anybody, you are now automatically the enemy and canceled. And if there's any truth whatsoever to the fact of people being self-centered, it's the fact that we live in a culture that is so meistic. It's all about me. And, and here's what scares me. This meistic mindset has crept into the church. And so now people attend churches based off of, does it suit me and my preferences? And that's my seat and my parking spot. And that's my thing. And, that's, and, and I don't like how he preaches. And I don't like how they sing because it's all about me, isn't it? And it's all about this. And I don't really want to do anything or give anything. I just want to come and I want to sit and I don't want to be a part. And I just, because it's about me and my comfort and my wants. Come on, this is, half y'all are like, I hate you already. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right, because it's about you anyways, right? <laughs> you're so upset because I'm pointing out the fact that you're self-centered. Like, how me know the church is a place where we actually come into not for just me, but for what I can give, not what I can just receive. It's about what I can be a part of, not just what I get from it. It's not just about self-benefit. If you go into a marriage self-centered, your marriage will only last <laughs> not long, Let's be honest, a marriage is only as good as the people in it were dying to themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the moment you stop dying to yourself is the moment your marriage starts dying. Because you have children, parents, you are dying to yourself. Okay? So it's, we live in a self-centered culture, and, and, and Scripture is telling us that, that this is actually going to get worse. More and more people are going to get self-centered. Let me give you the second one. More and more people, the spirit, people are going to be self-sufficient. So not just self-centered, we're going to be self-sufficient. Says that, that Scripture says they will be boastful and proud and scoffing at God. Americans, specifically Americans, have believed so much in this self-made man culture. We say things like, I worked for this. I did this. Look at what I created. But I want you to hear me closely. There's a very big difference between a biography and a testimony. And it's based off of who gets the credit for your life. Watch this. A biography is... I did this, look what I did, look what I built, look what I have, look what I've done. 
I am great. A testimony is, look what God did in me. Look what God did through me. Look what God did in spite of me. He is great. And there's too many people living biographies when they should be living testimonies. That it's not about what I did, it's about what he did. And King Nebuchadnezzar is living a biography where Daniel is living a testimony. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living a testimony. This is who God is, and this is what God delivered me from, and this is how God gave me strength in the hardship, and this is what God is, and this is what all of Daniel's life, all of his friends' life were always pointing to what God was doing through them. They never wanted to take the credit. They never wanted to take the glory. They always, they always deferred it, always reflected, and King Nebuchadnezzar always wanted the praise, always wanted the glory, and always wanted the credit. Watch this. But even no credit, no glory was ever enough to satisfy the thing inside of him that he wanted to be fulfilled. Do you notice that never once did it ever meet the actual need? Because at what point is enough enough? And we become so self-sufficient. That's why I said comfort and prosperity are two things that are can sometimes be an enemy of the kingdom if we're not careful. Now, I want you to hopefully have comfort and I want you to be prosperous, but I want you to understand that those things come from God and we find those in God. We don't find those apart from God. My life is prosperous not because of money. My life is prosperous because of the grace and the forgiveness of what Christ has given me. And I I pray that he would make us this way, but you need to understand that every talent you have is from God. Every breath you have is from God. The fact you got up this morning is from God. The fact that you have the intellect to do the job that you do is from God. The fact that you are born in America and not somewhere else is because of God. You didn't choose that. You didn't figure that out. God did. The fact that you're still standing today, even in the midst of all the hell you've been through as you look back over your life, is because of God. The footnote of our life should be this, if it wasn't for the grace of God. That should be the stamp over our lives. If it wasn't for the grace of God. You know what plagiarism is? Plagiarism is when you borrow something from someone else, but you take the credit. And there are too many plagiaristic Christians that are living a life that has only been because of the grace of God, but you want all the credit. And that's the spirit of Babylon, is it's not only self-centered, it's also self-sufficient. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said this, and it's pride, really. That's what it is, it's pride. Pride is a funny disease, because those who suffer most from it never know it, but they make everyone around them sick. I know any people like that? Everybody else is aware of it but them. And it makes everybody sick because they always need the glory. They always need the credit. They always need, it's always about them. Every time they call you, they don't ask you how you're doing. They're just vomiting on you about themselves. It's always about them. It's always about them. It's always about them. It's always about what they need. It's always about what they want. It's always, it's never about what God's done. It's never about the goodness of God. They're ungrateful. I mean, you just go through the list. Number three. Self-indulging, we get self-centered, we get self-sufficient, and that spirit can make us self-indulging. It says that they love pleasure rather than God. King Nebuchadnezzar in this time was the most powerful man in the world. The Hanging Gardens was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. King Neb had the gardens, he had the gold, he had the fortress, This fortress was so big, it could could never be attacked. At least that's what he thought. There was no army that could compare to the Babylonian army. He couldn't be fired because he was an unchallenged monarch, so he would never lose his place as king because, as y'all know, we just saw the queen die, and the king steps in, and no one will ever take his place until he dies. So here we are with King Neb. He's an unchallenged monarch. He's not going to ever be voted out. He's got all the power in the world. He's got all the money in the world. He's never going to go broke because he's got all of, he's the world bank. So he's got all the power in the world. He's got all of the money in the world. He's got all of the women in the world. He's got the largest place in the world. He's got everything that you could absolutely imagine. He's in a place of comfort and pleasure 
I mean, everything is about him and his world. But if we're not careful, that same spirit, that pleasure can replace the priority of pleasing God. Because our main priority can be pleasing self. How many of you have ever heard somebody just say, I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. Tell that to your boss. I just didn't want to do it. Okay, well, I just don't want to pay you. Like, we live in a culture now where if I feel it, I do it. And if I don't like how I feel, I just don't do it. What? Y'all know, like, following Jesus is about self-denial, self-sacrifice. It's like dying to self. And so think about how much of an antithesis this is to the culture we live in. Because the culture we live in is all about you're awesome, you're amazing, do whatever you want, do whatever feels good, do whatever. It's all about you and what you want. And then the kingdom of God is you, you're not that awesome. God is, though. God is for you. You gotta die to yourself. It's not about you. It's about laying your life down for other people. How many know it's like the in, in exact opposite? But watch this. This one is to live for self, but you end up dying. This one is die to self, and you end up living. That's the difference. And so we live in this culture of self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, self-indulging. And as King Neb is bragging about all that he has built, God humbles him in that moment. You can go read that scripture for yourself, but for time's sake, we're not going to do it. He humbles him. And he goes from, and this is why I called this, this message, the, I gave the title of this message, Beauty and the Beast. Because he goes from a beautiful man, literally, to a beast. He, gets, he, he, he goes from a world of confidence to a world of confusion. He goes from sanity to insanity in a moment. Now we realize God gave him a year, we know of for sure, from the warning. He gave him really three decades of submit to me, 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 repent, stop sinning, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. And that is because this. Watch what happens with the spirit of Babylon. If you don't get a hold of the spirit of self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, and self-indulgence, the spirit, here's the fruit of the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon will do this. It always produces a life of confusion and insanity. Always always produces a life of confusion and insanity. You know where this came from? Genesis chapter 11, Babylon. In Genesis chapter 11, the very beginning of the Bible, when, when they built a tower, and it was called the Tower of Babel, if anybody remembers this, they said that they were gonna, watch what, watch what, here's the spirit, ready? Here's the spirit of it all. Genesis 11, 4, 9 says this. Then they said, all the people gathered together and said, hey, come, let us build ourselves a city. Man, forget this following God stuff. Let's build our own city with a tower that reaches to the heaven. We're gonna, we're gonna be our own gods. We're gonna get to God however we wanna get so that we can make a name for who? So we can make a name for ourselves. Watch this. And because they do that, they did that, that is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. The word Babel is confusion. That's actually what it means. It means confusion. And God says, if you're gonna do anything without me, it's always gonna be Babel. It's always gonna be confusion. It's always gonna be insanity. How many of y'all know if you follow a way that is opposite of God's way, it will always produce confusion and insanity in your life? Always. Oh, don't believe me? You don't believe me? This isn't just true for King Neb. This is true for any society that turns their back on God, including ours. What would cause someone to walk into a school or to a business or to a mall and open fire on people and just murder them cold-blooded. That's insanity, people. That's insanity. What would cause a people to legalize the killing of babies in a mother's womb and say that it's not a baby? 
That's insanity, people. That's insanity. That that would be a, a something that we would say is okay. The fact that there's, uh, it's okay for boys to act like a girl and then go pe- compete in women's, uh, women's sports. That's insanity, people. Or the fact that my 10-year-old boy just feels like he wants to be a boy and so now I can inject him with all of these hormones and go in and do an actual surgery to give him irreversible, uh, invasive surgery to try to make him to be something that he's actually not, that God didn't create him because he's confused and so we put this on him. That's insanity, people. And that's not just the kid that's insanity, that's the parent. To think that in some way Like, oh, that's not us. That is us. We are living in a culture that says good is bad and bad is good. That evil is right and right is evil. And we are applauding people when they come out about who their true selves are when it's not their true self. That is confusion and insanity. And it's all from a spirit that comes from the spirit of Babylon, which is self-centered, self-focused, self-indulging, self-pleasing. I do whatever I want, however I want, and if you don't agree with me, then off with you. Well, I'm sorry to say, you're not God. And there is a God that is above all gods, and he has a word that is above every other word, and that word is the only word that is true and an anchor and gives me hope and gives me help and gives me all the things that I need for. If your life is crazy right now and you're confused, maybe God didn't leave, maybe you left. Hey, y'all know God's not confused? Just wanna help us. Y'all realize that? That God ain't confused about who you are? God ain't confused about his plan. God ain't confused about his church. God ain't confused. God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And King Neb, for seven years, watch this, y'all remember he says, you're gonna be this way, you're gonna be like an animal, you're gonna eat with like cows with the grass, you're gonna have long claws like, like eagles. I mean, can you just imagine, you're gonna have hair, you're gonna be, you're gonna be all weird, you're gonna be outside of the kingdom. And it took him seven years. You know what that says? He's a slow learner. (laughs) Come on, somebody. That is some pride. I got this. Yeah, you keep eating your grass, all right? Your little (laughs) grass smoothie you got and clip your nails. Okay, like, hey, watch this. Watch this, though. However funny that is, that is realistic of some people. They are so hard-headed and so full of pride they can never acknowledge that they were wrong or that that what they believe is wrong or how they're living is wrong. And God in his patience says, you can just keep doing whatever you want in your confusion and insanity for as long as it takes for you to learn that I'm king and that my kingdom rules forever. So however long it takes for King Nebuchadnezzar, seven years. Seven years. Some of you may understand what stubbornness looks like. That's stubborn. And in verse 34, we're gonna wrap it up. Y'all getting something out of this? Verse 34, watch this. After this time had passed, after the seven years had gone, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now I want you to see this. All of chapter four is Nebuchadnezzar actually sharing his testimony. If you go read at the very beginning, he goes, I, Nebuchadnezzar, want to tell you a story. So this whole thing has actually been him sharing his story. And so he's, he's sharing from his vantage point. He's the one talking in chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, in the midst of all of the craziness of insanity that I've been living in, I looked up to heaven, finally, finally. And when I looked up to heaven... And I recognize that I'm no longer God. It took me 30 years to finally figure this out. Look what happened. My sanity returned. I went from insane in the membrane. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Don't go listen to that song. Okay, that's that. But I went from insane. I went to sanity. Sanity restored. And I praised and 
worshiped the most high, and I honored the one who lives forever. Watch, watch. And his rule is everlasting. And his kingdom is eternal. This is the first time, four chapters, we're finally getting to this place. Notice now, it's personal. Y'all notice? It's not the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's going, no, 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 that God? Yeah, 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 no, no, I worship him. No, 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 I praise him. No, 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 his, his, his rule's everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. And when my sanity returned to me, let me tell you what happened. When my, here's my story. Ready? Here's my testimony. When, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor, and so did my glory, and so did my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. Watch. And I was restored. Come on, how many of you grateful for a God who can restore us even in the midst of our pride? He can, for a person who is humble, this is what he does. I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Here's what I do, and here's is. I praise, and I glorify, and I honor the king of heaven. He's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel's God. He's my God now. And in this, how many of you glad to know that one day when you get to heaven, you're going to get to heaven with King Nebuchadnezzar? Like, you're going to be there with him. This is the moment where God radically saves his life, and he's forever transformed in this moment. So, with that... What does that mean for us, Pastor Josh? Well, there is a way to break the Babylon spirit off of us. This Babylon spirit of more of me and less of God. There's a way to break it. There's a way to make sure that you always stay in a place where God can honor you, where God can bless you. And and, and I'm going to give you three, okay? If you want to break Babylon off of you, number one, I will exalt God. It's three I wills, by the way. I will, I will, I will. I will exalt God. And I'm not just talking about exalting God on a Sunday. I'm going to exalt God not only just in my private time. Come on, I'm going to exalt God publicly. I'm going to publicly declare that. You know, there is a lot of exaltation that happens in our, in our state. A ton of exaltation that happens. It happens on Friday night. It happens on Saturday. It happens on Sunday. Yesterday, I got the opportunity to go to an LSU game with Pastor JJ and Pastor Ryan for their very first time ever. There was more weeping than exalting, but. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, listen, you get around 102,000 people. Listen, I'm going to talk. You talk about exalting. Are you talking about hands raised? You talking about being loud? You talking about high-fiving people you don't know? You talking about, I told them, I said, watch, this is gonna happen. I said, watch what's gonna happen. Everybody and everybody around us was drunk. It was, all, it was 11 o'clock, they already drunk already. All around us. And I said, welcome to the harvest field, guys. This is where we're at, okay? They put, they put pastors right up in section 101 with all these drunk people. You know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You know Jesus? Okay, you need to, it was all these people, so I mean, F-bombs flying and, you know, all this stuff that's happening. And so at the start of the game, man, they're just, they're, they're cheering them up. You know, this is awesome. And, man, this is what we're going to do to number eight in the city and this, or in, in, the, in the nation. And this is what we're going to do to this and this is what. And I said, watch, this is what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. These people idolize these people on the field. But the moment they don't perform what they want for them, they will demonize them. Now watch. So we just got one, we got one kick in. If anybody watched, one kick in, there was a fumble, and within 30 seconds, there was a touchdown, and immediately it was like, what in the world? Get them out. Change your pants. Y'all are bad in white. Change them out. This is, I'm like, what? This whole game went on with all of them. Why didn't you throw it to him? Why didn't you do this? I would have done this differently. I looked over at Mike Trom. Mike was in the crowd with me. I said, Mike, I said, did you know we had so many coaches that were sitting in our section? I did not know we had so many coaches that were here. Hey, listen, can I tell you, I have a dream. I'm going to tell you what my dream is. My dream is that at all three of our campuses on a Sunday morning, there would be more exaltation for the name of Jesus that is above every other name than there ever is in Death Valley or in the Superdome. Come on, can we take five seconds to give the God the praise that he deserves in this place? That he is worthy. He's worthy of it all. 
He's worthy of it all. God is worthy of it all. I don't know about y'all, but those guys didn't, didn't, they don't know my name. And I'm not going to let guys who don't know my name get more exaltation than the God who laid his life down for me, blessed me, forgave me, and gave my life back. I'm just not doing it. And it's amazing because on a Friday night on a high school game or Saturday night at a college or Sunday in our home watching the Saints lose and, uh, and all that stuff. Our intercessory team will be up here to pray for anybody that's mourning. But isn't it amazing? Watch this though. Isn't it amazing that we can be so loud at the TV or in a stadium and then we get in a church and Allie's like, come on, lift your hands. And you're like. That spirit's in us. That spirit's in us. Dear God, I pray that we will exalt God, not just in private. Well, Pastor Josh, I just do it in private. Well, you don't just do it in private for any of those teams. Okay, let me just keep on going here. All right. Watch this. Psalms 140. Y'all, y'all with me? Everybody with me so far? Watch this. Psalms 145.1. Everybody say these four words. I will exalt. Ex- Come on, say it one more time. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. God, I will exalt you. Number two, I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge God. Yet again, not just on Sundays, but I'm going to acknowledge God in all avenues. I'm going to acknowledge that God's word is true and his way is right. I'm going to acknowledge that I need God. I'm going to acknowledge the fact that the only reason that I am standing on this stage is because God chose me, because God's with me, because God's for me, because God's grace is in me. The only reason I am where I am today is I'm going to acknowledge that it was God. It is God's church. I'm going to acknowledge that the fact that there is no hope in this world except for God and in God alone. I'm going to acknowledge that this fact that this is God's church, not my church. This is God's house, not my house. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm here today by the grace of God. Anybody in here acknowledge that you are here because of the grace of God, the mercy of God, the healing of God. And so we got to exalt them, but we've just got to acknowledge the fact. I don't want to be a biography. I want to be a testimony. And, a, and a bi- literally the difference is between who gets the acknowledgement, who gets the credit. If your story is all about how awesome you are, you have a biography. But if your story is, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you the bad parts of my life, not so that they, those get credit, but so that you can see how good my God is. Let me tell you what he did to my marriage. Let me tell you what he did in my soul. Let me tell you what he did in my family. Let me tell you how you radically saved me from myself. Let me tell you what he did. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. Why are you so puffed up about? What are you so puffed up? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have it's from God. Why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? Come on, is the word of God cutting deep this morning? Y'all ready for the last one? Everybody say, I'll exalt God. Come on, say, I'll acknowledge God. Here we go, ready? Number three, I will humble myself. Yeah, y'all didn't say that one as much as I Come on, let's, we're going we're gonna to try this one again, all right? All you proud people. Okay, ready? I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. I will humble myself. There we go. James 4.10, you ready? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. All right. Humility is coming. Humility is coming. You can humble yourself, plan A, or God can humble you, plan B. Ready? Watch. You get to choose humility or humiliation. Your choice. Your choice. Your choice. Nothing kills pride like humility. Only humility can get you out of what pride got you into. 
So if pride got you into the problem, humility is the only thing that gets you out. I have never seen anybody choke on humble pie. And I've seen a lot of people choke on pride pie. You know what pride pie says? I don't need God. I don't need people. I got this. I can fix this. I can do this. It's I, I, I. I'm not saying I'm sorry. When they say they're sorry, I'll say I'm sorry. They're the one who, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Pride, 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 pride. But this scripture says that it's not God who does the humbling, it's us who does the humbling. I, I humble myself before God. And when I do that, when I do that, the Lord, what, is, what does he do? He lifts you up. He lifts you up. And so here's what I know. When we try to lift ourselves up, God cuts us down. That's the dream, right? The dream is this incredible tree. And God said, you going to build this tree? Hi-ya! You gonna build this tower and it's gonna be awesome? Confusion. God chops down, cuts down anything that we try to self-build for self-image, for self-exaltation, for self-credit. He says, listen, though, if you would be, if you would be humble, I can fix things you can't fix. I can restore things you can't restore. I can, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to try to, you don't, you don't have to try to do something more than just, just be humble. Just stay humble and I'll defend you. I'll work for you. I'll exalt you. I'll lift you up. How many of you glad that God never leaves us down? The Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble to pick them back up and say, let's go again. And that's what I love about this story because he did chop it. But he chopped it to where the roots and the stump stayed because we never have a God that says, you're never too far from me. Grace and humility can always be met in a place to elevate you back up, to lift you back up, to raise you back up. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you have been so gracious to us. And today, in this moment, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. There's those of you that are in here right now. and Man, as God's word has been going forth, you know that there's been, there's been areas of your heart that, that the Holy Spirit's been after. Maybe there's been some selfishness, some self-centeredness. Maybe there's been an area of self-sufficiency. Self-pleasure. It's just about been about you. Today, the kingdom of God is confronting that right now. It's calling you to die to self, surrender to self, to lay down self. Because we serve a God who came in the form of a man, humbled himself, came in the form of a man, came in the form of a baby, humbled himself as a child, lived a life you and I couldn't live, and ultimately did the most humble act that there ever was, which is to die on a cross for sins he never committed. That's the most humblest man. He died, he went in a grave, and the Bible says that God raised him up. And today I believe there's some of you that God is wanting to raise you up, but it begins with humility. It begins to, by just acknowledging your sin begins by acknowledging your areas that you need to repent. There's been areas God's been after maybe for a while and he's, his patience, he's been patient. And you've allowed that patience to buy into the lie that he approves of it. But if you're living in sin right now, God does not approve. Can I just compel you, as Daniel compelled King Nebuchadnezzar, stop sinning. Turn to Jesus. Humble yourselves. Let God forgive you. 
Let God walk and give you grace. Let God restore you. If you're here in this place, you say, this message is for me in the area of my life that I'm in right now. I know that's you. If that's you, would you just stand all across this room? If that's you, and just say, I, I know I need the grace of God. God is humbling me right now. Come on. This is the greatest thing that you can do in this moment. We're going we're to publicly acknowledge this. This is why I'm making you stand. This is a huge deal for our pride, for our ego. Some of you right now, oh, man, if I stand, who's going to look at me? That's your pride in the way. That's your pride in the way. There's been some things in your marriage that you've been walking in pride. There's been some things in your life you've been walking in pride. This is your moment. This is your moment. Come on, just stand. Now, would you just lift your hands all across this room, right there where you are? If you're there online, you can do this right there where you are if you're watching with us. There's maybe some areas of our lives that we just need to repent of. And would you just, right here in this moment, would you just have a moment with the Lord? And you just say, God, I, I repent. And then just, just say whatever it is right now. Just whatever area that's been that you've walked in pride. Any area right now where you've walked in, in judgment of others. Any area where you've been self-centered. Any area where you've, you've been your own God and you've not allowed God to step in. Come on, if that's you, just right there. Just have this moment before him. God, I'm, I'm sorry for this. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. But God, we repent of this, meaning we change our minds. We change our minds and we change our ways. We change our minds and we change our ways only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is the only one who can give us the power and the grace and the strength and the courage to walk in this. So today, God, we repent of these things and we turn to you God, your word says that if we will humble ourselves, that you will lift us up, that you will give us your grace. So today, God, I pray that over your people today, that they would not walk in condemnation. Those that maybe need to go and, and, and make things right, give them the boldness and courage to go make things right. Go, God, those who, who, who need to, to walk in some humility in relationships, God, help them to do that. Lord, today we acknowledge that our testimony is if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would we be? We are so grateful for the grace of God in our lives, and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, let's celebrate.